All right. Hello and welcome back to Real Seekers. I'm your host, Dale, the Real Seeker. And um, just wanted to do a very quick video here. <laughs> um, hopefully it's quick. Uh, just to give a, an RSM blog announcement, as well as to give a couple of quick follow-ups on my debate that I did last night the great miracles debate with jordan the atheist from reason to doubt there are a couple issues i just wanted to give uh, some follow-ups on stuff i said wrong or just wanted to clarify a bit or stuff i didn't address uh, in one case but uh, before we get to that there is a, a a real seekers announcement uh just to let you guys know uh because i forgot to mention it in my last announcements but it's about the blog specifically so I have a free blog. When I signed up at Real Seekers on WordPress, um, I was given three gigabytes for free. And um, so as you can see, I, I like to post and give you guys sources and that sort of thing. Um, but lately I've been having to kind of uh, play stunts, not really giving as many sources for every show or not putting pictures or in some cases combining you know, so all of the Faith Unaltered podcasts I've condensed into one blog kind of thing just to save space because I'm currently at about 77.6% uh, of my three gigabyte limit, after which I need to pay money to get uh, more stuff or get a new blog or something. So I, I'm trying to delay running out of space. And that's why you'll notice there's, um, it's not laziness on my part, but I've been stopped. I, I haven't been posting um, as many blogs. I've been trying to kind of condense them. And when I do post sources, I try to just post a link rather than having the PDFs or, or stuff like that. I'm trying to save the bigger files or pictures and independent blogs for the very important topics. But things like the Faith Unaltered episodes, I'm probably going to stop posting blogs altogether just so I have enough room to post the blogs that are actually important. Um, so yeah, just, you know, I'll, I'll still post links to sources, but I'll just put them in the YouTube video description, if any, for things like Faith Unaltered shows um, or, um, yeah, le less important um, shows that happen on a weekly basis or something. Um, I'll reserve my blog and what's left only for the shows that I think are really important. So obviously that's going to be Shroud stuff. Um, those are always going to have an independent blog. Um, and stuff like that, um, you know, where I need to post detailed sources for people. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, just be aware of that. And, um, it's not, into, it's not laziness on my part. Uh, I promise it's, it's, um, I've been having to, uh, play, uh, pull stunts and stuff to try and conserve my room so that I don't hit my three gigabyte limit. And then, okay, now what do I do with, uh, do I get a new blog? Do I pay 60 bucks to get more space uh where's that money come from stuff like that or um yeah i i'm opting i like things for free and stuff like that and free for my audience and everything so i'm opting to kind of play stunts you know post less blogs you know so faith and altered stuff i don't need to really post a blog for that especially because i'm not really posting up sources anymore for for those shows unless it's important okay then i'll do an independent blog for it but mostly going forward my real seekers blog will be um reserved for real seekers exclusive content or content that's really important to me um just to conserve room um and obviously you know for mo the majority of my audience you'll be happy because that's not going to affect the shroud shroud shows and stuff like that too much um but yeah um just be aware that's why i'm playing tricks i'm kind of linked i've been linking to previous blogs that have all the sources already up stuff stuff like that uh 
I might have to consolidate again as I reach the limit. I might have to consolidate previous blogs that I've done into a single blog. Um, again, that won't be on anything that's important. Like obviously, all my all my things where I have detailed sources and multiple PDFs and stuff that's going to be left independent. But I might, you know, where there's like a blog where I've, I have like one or two links in the sources because I didn't. It was just a fluff show or something I did on Faith Unaltered or or a different show or Pora or something like that, or Skeptics and Seekers or whatever. Yeah, I'll, I might consolidate that. Um, again, that's that's down the road once I get, once I start reaching my limit. But uh, I just wanted to make you aware that's, that's what's going on with the blog. Um, but yeah, other than that, uh, great. Let's get into my follow-up of last night's debate because uh it was a great debate um it's in the name the great miracles debate but yeah it was, it was always great talking with jordan um he's uh i think one of my favorite atheists of all time we always have a great time debating and uh, i'm looking forward to debating him on the existence of god on uh, we've we agreed after the show it'll be the modal ontological argument that's the one i think is the strongest in favor of theism and on his end, as an atheist, he he likes the divine hit J.L. Schellenberg's divine hiddenness argument. So look out for that in, in coming months. In a couple months' time, we'll probably set that up. Um, but yeah, so great. So uh, two things to talk about in terms of last night's debate. So the first one was about uh, Bayes' theorem. And this was something I purpose, uh, Jordan brought up, and I left is purposefully out of my opening presentation just because I felt it um there was already too much in my slides there was a lot of technical jargon so I was just like okay I, I don't need to get into Bayes theorem but I noticed afterwards I had to note uh Jordan does bring up Bayes theorem because it is a helpful way and I didn't uh, really probe or ask about that at all so I just wanted to give kind of my take on what he says about Bayes theorem and how he thinks that miracles have a low prior probability and that sort of thing. So with that said, let's first and foremost hear a, a little clip of what Jordan actually said. Uh, entire screen, okay. And hopefully you peeps should be seeing that. Yes, you are. All right, so this is about a three to four minute little clip. And uh, let's hear what Jordan says about Bayes' theorem here. Now, when it comes to an event that's identified as miraculous, we need enough event, uh, enough evidence to justify belief that the event in question occurred and that the event was caused or designed or whatever by God. Since something can't be caused or designed by God that doesn't exist, the evidence would need to be sufficient to warrant belief in that deity unless you came to the table with that belief already for other reasons. Um, how much is enough will always be a subjective judgment. I tend to think in Bayesian terms. And so I would say that miracles have uh, an extremely low prior probability. That is just a fancy way of saying that you would need a lot of evidence to reasonably believe it. I think this for a few reasons. Genuine miracles, if they occur at all, are rare. Most things that happen in the universe are just interactions of ordinary matter that's perfectly explicable by natural laws and don't seem to have any significance as a sign or wonder at all. Um, and so miracles are a rare occurrence. Not only this, uh, but miracle claims are very often wrong. Even if you think miracles are a real thing, uh, I'm sure most people won't disagree that there's a lot of people claiming that a miracle happened 
and there's no miracle, they're just mistaken. So those reasons alone would justify a low prior for any <coughs> new claim that came up. But And that's, that's true even if you accept that miracles can happen sometimes. But I think it gets worse because uh, remember that for a miracle to be possible at all, God must exist. So that means accepting this miracle claim, if we don't come to the table with that belief already, that would require us to fundamentally alter our perception of reality in order to accommodate not just the supernatural, whatever that means, but specifically a supremely powerful personal being that's utterly unlike anything else that exists. This is an important point, so I think it's worth emphasizing. So far as anyone can tell, the laws of physics always apply to all things and they haven't changed significantly with time. We've encountered no verified exceptions. So if you want me to believe that there is a hitherto unknown exception to this rule, I should require some truly stellar evidence to believe that. If you're still not convinced, uh, imagine this. Suppose someone claims that hyper-advanced aliens have visited Earth. In fact, I think right now there's some people testifying before Congress that that very thing has happened. Uh, <laughs> I think we would all rightly be extremely skeptical of that claim and require excellent evidence to believe them. That is to say, we'd all agree that it has a low prior. And I think we have good reasons to do so. We've never observed life outside of Earth. The universe is extremely big. The odds of alien life appearing near us would seem to be low. The technology they'd need would be staggering, et cetera. But at a, kind of like a basic level, believing that there are hyper-advanced aliens out there isn't like crazy. They would be presumably beings kind of like us, and we already know that's possible. Uh, we, With regards to the technology, you can see our rapid advance of technology in just the last 10,000 years. How much further along would a species go if they got, say, a million-year head start, or two million, or ten? Uh, in other words, a hyper-advanced alien species existing is uh, really just a difference in degree from what we already know is possible. And it's not a, like a fundamentally different type of thing. So I would contend that however low you set the prior for these aliens being existing and you know visiting Earth, and I think you should set it quite low indeed. Uh, the prior for a God existing who intervenes on earth should be much lower than that. But hey, who cares if miracles have low prior? Because low priors, even extremely low priors, can be overcome with good evidence. So uh, let's circle back. Okay, perfect. So that's the little clip of what Jordan said here. And um, so in his in his book, so I so I did address the low prior probability based on the improper reference class that he's uh, talking about. You know, he's giving this frequentist type argument that it's rare. He had, he had a second argument and I addressed that in the show. So I'm not going to re-go over that. But there is the specific issue about Bayes' theorem that I, I wish I had mentioned because Jordan is, is good. So he's saying he knows Bayes' theorem and how it works. He's saying, look, there is this low prior probability for miracles but uh, it could be overwhelmed based on the a posteriori evidence, right? If there's if the evidence in favor that a miracle actually did happen is strong enough, well, then that can um, absolutely uh, overwhelm even a very low prior probability. Um, now, the thing that I wanted to mention here is that <laughs> Jordan kind of missed something. And here was something that I had in my notes that I wanted to raise with him is that, um, <coughs> sorry, not not only does, um, let me just stop sharing for a second, not only um, is it the case that a low prior probability of a the hypothesis being true that a miracle, religion authenticating miracle took place, um, be, is low, can be overwhelmed by um, high a posteriori evidence. Um, you know, if there's a high probability based on the evidence that Jesus rose from the dead, 
that can overwhelm it, even a very low prior probability, a one one thousand chance or whatever Jordan would assign it at is very low. Um, but Jordan's missing something because in Bayes' theorem, even with excluding the the evidence for the resurrection, the a posteriori probabilities, there's another way that the ratio, the prior probability could be said to be high, or at the very least, as I argue, equal probability, 50-50, that we'd plug into Bayes' theorem. And it's because Jordan is missing out on um, evaluating, okay, well, it's, you, you don't just um, figure out what's the prior probability that the hypothesis is true, that God would uh, want to do a miracle in these religion authenticating contexts, and you know that has all the specific entailments there. But you also have to compare that and come up with a ratio. Well, what's the prior probability that God would not do a miracle? And that could be so low, even lower than the low prior probability that the hypothesis is true, that it makes it more probable than not, just on the ratio of the prior probabilities alone, that God would do a miracle. Or I argue that I just try to be that it's inscrutable and I treat them that, it, that it's equal, 50-50 probability that God did or didn't do this miracle or, or would or wouldn't do this uh, religion authenticating miracle. Um, so, so um, yeah, let me play a little clip. This is a clip that I've did. Um, it's about 10 minutes or so. And it's a clip I did on David Hume specifically addressing this probability calculus issue. Because David Hume... Probability calculus and Bayes' theorem didn't exist in David Hume's day. He was totally ignorant of it. And that's why he didn't really do a good job. He's been sort of mathematically refuted in terms of his arguments against atheists, uh, sorry, against miracles and te believing testimonial evidence versus the uniform experience of the laws of nature. Um, so let me just first play this clip. Um, hang on one second. 107, 28. Okay, to, yeah, so it's about an eight-minute clip. Uh, so let me just play the clip, and then I'll talk about it from this. Uh, this is my David Hume and Miracles Part 2, Refuting Hume's Abject Failure. And this is my fourth objection. So let's listen to that. Discovered after David Hume, and in large part by people like John Stuart Mill as a response to David Hume's take on miracles here. But what's going on here is that Hume's argumentation requires that one must reject even the most reliable testimony of any and all highly improbable events. Regardless of whether they're natural or supernatural, it doesn't matter. You've got to reject them. And that's ridiculous. No person with a functioning brain in the world would believe that. And it's a popular saying now. I remember my one of my favorite shows was The Mentalist. And he was an atheist, uh, kind of a Richard Dawkinite type person. And he would always say, and he was right to say this, highly improbable events happen all the time. Huh? He believes in testimony of highly improbable events? David Hume would say, you're a fool. According, if he's consistent in terms of his premise one, we would have to de deny rare or anomalous events all the time. So, for example, let's take, William Craig gives this great example of a news report recording, hey, the winning lottery number is 7492871. Do you believe this testimonial evidence or not? David Hume's argument would say, no, you've got to disbelieve it. You can't believe that testimonial evidence. That's highly improbable that the news uh, would report that um, 
and they would select that specific number. It's probably like one chance in several million that the news would get and then report that number for the lottery. Highly, highly improbable. So, you know, basically under Hume's notion here, even if the news, let's say we could prove they are 99.99% proven to be reliable testifiers. You know, we believe their testimony, they're always reliable. 99.99% of the time, even still, because one divided by several million is way, would be um, outweigh and overwhelm this 99.99%. Uh, therefore, we would have to reject the news's claim about that the lottery, winning lottery number is the 7492871. We could not believe that testimony under Hume's way of thinking. This is nonsense. <coughs> So what is it that probability theorists have done to show this? And essentially, they've conclusively demonstrated that one must not only take into account the probability that the news would announce that given uh, that number, given it had been picked, right? So that might be one chance, that number being picked one chance in several million, very, very highly improbable. But you also have to compare that and contrast it with another conditional probability. What's the probability that the news would announce that um, announce that number given they got a different number in the lottery? And that is highly, highly improbable, even more improbable. It's probably one chance in a trillion. So therefore, that overwhelms. And because on that basis, it's extremely improbable that the, that the number 7492871 that the news reported is false testimony. That must be the number. That is very, very probably the number that they got. <clears throat> and therefore, you should believe the reliable testimony from the news on the lottery numbers. Even though it's highly improbable, the contrastive hypothesis that the news reported that winning number, despite them getting a different number, is even more improbable. And on that basis, probability calculus, that's how we evaluate miracle testimony. What's the probability of the alternate hypothesis? We have to compare and contrast the probability that we would get this, uh, that, sorry, the probability uh, that we would have, um, the hypothesis that they got this number given they reported it, uh, or and or that a miracle took place given it's being testified to, compared to, relative to as a ratio, the probability that that miracle didn't take place and or that the news would report that number given that they didn't get that that lottery number when they did the, the random balls or whatever is it whatever it is they do to get the numbers. Yeah, so that's the proper way. Additionally, Hume also screws up big time in that he his premise one only looks at the intrinsic or prior probability under Bayes' theorem. That's the only he only looks at that number one, he only looks at that one factor, the prior probability. You can tell I was in a bit of a, a bit of a funny mood uh, towards David Hume in this one. So, <laughs> and he uh, ignores the prior probability of the opposite hypothesis of the falsity of that hypothesis. Um, so that's a problem. But additionally, makes a second problem. He he totally ignores the explanatory power hypothesis or uh, probability of the hypothesis and its opposite and or its thing. So. 
Okay, so I think that's that's good enough for the clip. I'm I'm not going to play it all, but here's the here's Bayes' theorem right here. This is the formula, right? And there are two ratios. So so basically, David Hume, the reason he was horrible and and his argument sucks and failed, all he cared about was this factor here, the probability that hypothesis one, namely that okay, the miracle a miracle took place or whatever. In this case, Jordan and I are saying that God performed a religion authenticating miracle, they're only look, Hume only looks at this factor and he says, well, this is very low. It's, you know, given all of the ordinary natural events and blah, 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 all these frequency of, of um, naturalistic events and stuff like that, and the false testimonies, counterfeit miracle claims, this is very low. There's like a one in a billion chance. Let's, for the sake of argument, just plug in that, that number randomly. But here's where Hume uh, didn't understand Bayes' theorem of probability calculus. And after he died, um, mathematicians absolutely demonstrated he was totally out to lunch. And uh, in the show, the debate I did with um, come on, the debate I did with Jordan, he mentions this, and he says, "Well, look, even if this is really low, if this ratio is high, it can overwhelm." the very low prior probability and he's absolutely right right so this is basically okay well what's the prior probability that jesus rose from the dead well it's like one in a uh, one in like 10 billion let's say there have been 10 billion people who've lived and you know one out of 10 billion people or you know if you believe the bible seven or ten out of 10 billion people who have ever lived have been god is raised from the dead and then you have okay that could be overwhelmed if the evidence that Jesus, God rose Jesus from the dead is so powerful, it might even be able to overwhelm even such a very low probability, prior probability, right? So let's say we can prove 99.999999% and it's so, it's so strong, um, it can even outweigh a one in a billion chance or something like that. So that's what Jordan was saying here. But here's the part I wanted to add to Jordan, because we don't even need the, a, the likelihood ratio or the explanatory power ratio to be high. There is another way to defeat even a low prior probability, because you have to compare that and get a ratio of the prior probability that the hypothesis is false. It's not enough to just say, well, what's the prior probability that God would raise Jesus from the dead? You also have to value what's the prior probability that God wouldn't raise Jesus from the dead. And given that we've proven God exists, given that he has the, these uh, goals and, you know, the, the other premises of my argument, and it takes place within a religion authenticating context, I think it could be argued that this prior probability factor is even lower, quite frankly, given that God had a proper religious motive to raise Jesus from the dead, it's 100% proven, or there's a, um, you know, it's 100% proven almost um, that God would raise Jesus. So, so the prior probability that God would not raise Jesus from the dead in this context, uh, once fully understood, it, it's it's way lower than this low one in a billion. In fact, I would, you might even argue it's 0%, in which case the prior probability is it's not even just an equal prior probability. Like I was assuming to give the benefit of the doubt to the skeptics and say, well, it's inscrutable when we're talking about divine psychology. So let me give a 50-50. They're, they're both equally equal to whatever they are. 
Um, no, you, you could arguably argue that, well, look, the prior probability of God not raising Jesus from the dead, given some of the circumstances here, is 0% or much, much lower than the prior probability factor that, G, that God would raise G, Jesus from the dead. Even if that's one in a billion, this would be even less than that. The, the prior probability of the opposite would be even less than that, therefore making it, the, in terms of the ratio of prior probabilities, yeah, it's probable that God raised Jesus from the dead, um, if you want to argue that way. I, I'm giving the skeptics and atheists a benefit of the doubt by assuming they're equal here and giving it a 50-50 and saying the prior probability, it, it look, it all just depends. Maybe God did have the will to raise Jesus, maybe he didn't. Have the will to raise Jesus, given the presence of a religion, authenticating context. Um, I don't think we can decide one way or the other a priori. Let's all base it on well, what is the actual likelihood ratio? What is the explanatory power ratio or the evidence itself? Say, did God raise Jesus from the dead or not? And that answers whether he had the will to do it or not. Um, so yeah, I, this is the point that I didn't mention in the show is that it's not only that you need a high evidential thing. If this, if this, the prior probability factor of the opposite of the hypothesis, if the falsity of the hypothesis, you know, the the prior probability that God didn't do a religion authenticating a miracle in this context, in the context here, um, if that's even lower than the prior probability the low, quote-unquote, low prior probability that God did raise Jesus from the dead or, or perform a religion-authenticating miracle, um, then that alone is sufficient to, to take care of this and say, yeah, uh, God did do a, probably did do a religion-authenticating miracle here. And uh, this was the part that I totally neglected to, to say and I wanted to add because that um, Jordan rightly mentions this is one way to overwhelm a low prior probability here, but there's a second way, and that's if the prior probability of the um, of the negation of the hypo main hypothesis is even lower or equally low or even lower than the low prior prob of the hypothesis, then that's another way of defeating it. So I just wanted to add that. Great. So, okay. I think you guys get it. So perfecta mundo. Let's, uh, so that's my point there. The next point that I wanted to raise is based on, <coughs> is based on, um, uh, oh, uh, so yeah, Jordan asks me specifically about miraculous healing. And I'm a bit skeptical about those being used, at least in and of themselves, uh, being used as religion authenticating events. So first of all, let me play the clip of what I said there. All right, here we go. He's correct. But I'm talking like you were mentioning doing miracles for people in other religions. Um, wouldn't that run the risk of authenticating their mistaken belief? Like, because what they saw, the person who's a Hindu saw, I prayed to my Hindu deity or deities yeah. and got a thing. That 
that would seem to authenticate their belief, but that's authenticating the wrong belief. Um, so, so that I think is very loosey goosey, right? So I, I think that you could prove that it's sufficiently attached to a religion. If, if you're a Hindu and, and you're praying to a Hindu God and then you get healed, um, I think it would have to be, especially right away, right? Like I, you gave one example where you wait a week, that's even more tenuous. Let's just say it happens instantly okay. the, the moment you pray just to, I think you can prove that that's sufficiently attached to the religion, but it, it's questionable. Does it actually serve to authenticate? You, you'd have to, you know, because again, that could be a, easily be a miracle of compassion and we can't get inside God's head. I just know, Hey, I prayed to the Hindu God and I'm healed. And the Hindu God can heal me without saying necessarily that he's, that he's real or that the Hindu religion is real. Or well, the Hindu, the Hindu God. So what, I don't have access to God's goals or whatever. Like maybe when he did this, it wasn't the purpose. God's purpose was not to authenticate any religion. Right. Mm -hmm. But I'm just viewing it. Like if I pray to a deity and then boom, I get the thing. I could totally see that that would increase my confidence and apparently increase my confidence in the wrong thing, whether or not that was the goal of the deity or not. I've been, the deity's action gave me mistaken information. What, what, or I, 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 I don't think it's unreasonable to interpret that in, in the wrong way, you know? Um, and so wouldn't that seem to lead to that confusion that the deity is supposed to be trying to avoid? So I think in, in that case, this is where the, a uniqueness criterion could come in to play, even for the, the lesser standard of, of the reasonable uh, real seeker. Yeah, I think, I think, okay, maybe the very close association and the fact that you specifically prayed to a specific God. Okay, let, let's say for the sake of argument that a uh, real seeker would be reasonable in saying, well, that, that is serving to authenticate Hinduism. But then the reasonable real seeker is still uh, obligated to find out, well, is this event unique for specifically this Hindu God? And that's where they're going to find out, no, it, it, this happens for Christians praying to the Christian God for Muslims that there are abundance of things. And, and in that way, I think the reasonable real seeker would say, well, I don't, I don't think we can establish this is serving to authenticate. It's, you know, so, something extraordinary happened. Um, I was healed after in a religious context. Um, but we, yeah, like, because it's not unique to one religion, we can't say it's an authenticating thing because, yeah. Okay. So you would say that, um, people who use miracles that are not, we'll say generic miracles because they happen in multiple traditions, that um, they would be incorrect in using that as evidence to differentiate their religion because other traditions have those stories as well. Would that be? The, uh, well, just to qualify, so, and it's it's not just that they have the stories, that's irrelevant, but it, I'm presuming they, they have they have the, the events. Provable yeah. examples, like the this actually happened in a different religious tradition. That would be. Okay. Um, I, I guess it, it still seems like, I don't know, like I get what you're saying. Like ideally the person would say, well, yeah, I was, I, I did this. I prayed to that deity. I was healed, but maybe it's some other deity that just had pity on me, even though I'm wrong. Like that is a place where you can go there. But it, it seems to me like, God would owe that person some more like 
help because like I don't know. I, I don't want to get hung up on it. It just seems like um if that happened to me, like I get Christians who tell me all the time like why they believed uh that there's a guy I used to talk to Titus used to be on the show. And one of the uh one of the, the things he'd give, he'd give miraculous Titus is a cool guy, by the way. Those healings of people he knew, and this is why I believe in the Christian God. And you know, so clearly there Okay, so I, I think you guys get the point, right? Um, so he mentions Titus. So one thing I just wanted to clarify, so let me stop sharing and go back. Um, basically, what, the thing that I wanted to clarify here, so I do agree, look, miracle healings, I am very skeptical of them, just in terms of the generic modern miracle healings type claim claims that they do serve as a religion authenticating event. And that's even though I do believe that God is, supernaturally or miraculously healed people, at least some people today, um, I don't think that those serve as religion authenticating events in general, in themselves. However, the thing that I, I should have said, and, and uh, jo Jordan did hint at it, and I didn't pick up on it in the show, is that sometimes there are times, though, where a, more, uh, a healing, miraculous healing, can serve to authenticate a specific religion, you know, uniquely uh, serve to authenticate a, one religion over others or something, despite the fact that miraculous healings do happen in other religions. And that would just depend on, so for one, one example would be, okay, if a religious founder, perhaps that's sufficiently different, like Jesus's healings, the Bible might, it does imply that those did serve to show his authority or to authenticate, hey, I'm God's agent. In some way. So in this case, you have a religious founder claiming that these healings are in fact, and explicitly saying this is the purpose of these. These prove I'm God's God's peep. I'm his agent. Uh, don't believe me? Boom, you're healed. See? Um, so in that case, I do think that would be clearer um, because of that specific propositional content that that religious founder is saying. Uh, and, and he's explicitly telling you this is the purpose of this healing. That would be a religion authenticating um, um, miracle if we could prove any one of Jesus' healings accounts were true or something like that, and that it truly was an extraordinary healing rather than just an ordinary natural healing that, you know, happens all the time in medical uh, journals and stuff like that, like, you know, remission of cancer. That that just happens naturally. Um the second one, and this is one that Jordan hinted at, and I wish I had raised it in the show because it's it's something that I'm fascinated with. I've been asking Caleb Jackson about this to do a chapter in his book about it and looking at it, but it's what I call these religious contests, or Dr. Craig Keener calls them power encounters in his two-volume book on miracles. This is a potential way, I think, where you have this contest between two religions, even if you have multiple supernatural events like healings in two different religions, or in the Bible, we have Moses and the Egyptian magicians doing, I believe the Bible saying it's a supernatural act. The staffs turned to snakes. This wasn't just some magic trick. I think that the Bible saying they supernaturally did that through the power of, of Satan, but Moses, it's in a religious context of a religious contest whereby Moses comes out on top and it's clear Yahweh is the true God. This is the divine revelation that you should follow type deal. And that's so religious contests um, are another example. So if there's a contest of healings, that could be another example potentially 
whereby that is clear enough to say that, yeah, miracle healings serve to authenticate uh, a specific religion. Um, uh, you know, this is a religion authenticating miracle. Um, so those are two potential exceptions and stuff like that. But still, at the, at, I still agree with what I said in the show with Jordan in general, just miracle healings in and of themselves seem to be prevalent across religious worldviews and even irreligious worldviews. And that's this is why I tend to think most miracle healings that take place are not done as religious religion authenticating miracles, but are done because God is a loving, caring God and he cares about people, even non-Christian people. And out of reasons of compassion and within his divine providential will, uh, he knows, okay, he's going to compassionately heal this guy or something, even if he's an atheist. So yeah, they're, they're mostly miracles of compassion, but I wanted to raise the fact that there are a couple of contexts where miracle healings could be used as a religion authenticating event, such as with Jesus's healings, because he's a religious founder. And guess what? He's explicitly saying, I'm God's agent. Here's proof. Boom. The healing proves his claims to be God's agent or another context, uh, religious contests, or what Craig Keener calls these power encounters. That's that's another context where that could, the healings could serve, or even ex exorcisms, same thing, uh, I find. Um, these could serve to authenticate a given religion. So that's all I wanted to say for my follow-up. I hope that was helpful. But yeah, thank you guys uh, so much for watching and stuff like that. Um, and I'll see you in September when I return from my vacation. Take care.